This is a Federal News Network podcast. For the second year in a row, economists at the FDIC are turning to college students to help answer some of their toughest research problems. Not just by asking students to answer academic questions, but by helping to figure out exactly what questions bank regulators ought to be asking. The second annual FDIC Academic Challenge launched just a few weeks ago. This one's focused on the effects of COVID-19 on the banking system. For more, I spoke with John Pogash, the Chief of Financial Modeling and Research at the FDIC. I think that there's a lot that is still happening with respect to the pandemic and the associated response. So within the question, we ask students questions on sub-questions on what do we think the effect of moratoria on evictions might be that potentially could be something that is still out there. Uh, We ask them to potentially consider the effects on banks' income, be it interest income or non-interest income. We also point to uh, changes in other parts of the economy that might still be unfolding, along with the government programs that were implemented as part of the crisis, such as uh, the PPP lending program, All of these things, as they uh, roll off or as we think about their consequences on the economy and therefore the banks going forward are things that we as regulators continue to think about. And I don't think anyone has fully answered exactly what's going to happen uh, in the near medium term. So tell us about the challenge itself and how it actually works. I know this is not the first one you've done, but, but tell us a bit about the mechanics. So the challenge was launched in on September 9th. And by launching, what we mean is we introduced the academic challenge question for the year that we have a notification that goes out to schools all around the country. And we are encouraging uh, interested parties to register their emails uh, so that we can provide them with new information about the challenge, uh, FAQs, etc. We're going to have a call and Q&A on October 6th so that students and uh, faculty advisors can ask us questions directly about the question and how we're thinking about it, how they might uh, want to be thinking about things. November 19th is a deadline for submitting a paper. So students get together, teams of four or five students, along with the faculty advisor. Uh, Over the course of that two-month period are writing a paper, answering the questions uh, within the academic challenge on the pandemic's effect on the banking system. And then we evaluate those uh, written responses uh, at the FDIC. We have economists uh, looking through all of those and evaluating uh, the submissions. And we select five of those submissions uh, as finalists. The finalists are then invited uh, to Washington, D.C., hopefully in person, of course, rather than virtual. We're hoping to do this uh, in person. Uh, If not, we we did it virtually last year. Uh, We, of course, can do it virtually again this year. And those five finalist teams present their papers to a team of, to a panelist, a panelist consisting of two FDIC economists, uh, two external judges who come from uh, different banks, and one academic external judge. So a five-person panel. And then after their presentation, get questions from the panelists to probe their understanding of their own material and go further in depth into the work that they've done. And then we select a winner and uh, we have a hopefully in-person celebration. <laughs> and, and since this isn't your first run at this, maybe you can share a little bit about sort of the value or insights that FDIC has gotten out of this process in the past. 
So I think it's really exciting to see how a new generation of students engages these questions. So last year, the question was the effect of community banks on local economies. And for people at the FDIC or people like myself, uh, who might come from a somewhat different uh, age demographic from undergraduate students, seeing how students think about the role of community banks last year versus how people who had been in the industry or in the regulatory community for a while, the differences in how they think about things versus how we think about things can be stark. So seeing those students' perspectives on banks and the roles that they see banks playing in the economy uh, is really quite interesting for us and also helps us understand how banks might continue to engage uh, with uh, different populations uh, in, in the future. And I noticed in the press release, the, the participants here are all undergrads. Is there a specific reason for that, why you're going after undergrads instead of people who are going after master's degrees in more specialized areas? So I think part of the idea of the academic challenge is to get students excited in the topics that we are dealing with as regulators, uh, as bank regulators at the FDIC. And I think part of that is engaging students when they're still somewhat early in their academic careers. There's a lot of really fascinating and interesting questions to be answered uh, as bank regulators. And I think if you talk to students who are already in the master's program, they've already self-selected, they've already decided that these are interesting questions when there might be many students at the undergraduate level who didn't realize all of the fascinating and interesting things that can be answered. So broadening the scope of students who might one day become involved in the industry, either with us or elsewhere, I think is a really great opportunity and one that the academic challenge highlights. So it sounds like it's as much a research project for you as it is cultivating the next generation of bank regulators. Yes, and not necessarily cultivating just bank regulators, just engagement in the field in general, even if they don't, of course, if they join the FDIC one day, that's wonderful for us. And I think wonderful, hopefully for the American economy. But even if they don't join us, having people thinking about some of these very challenging issues as regulators, as bankers, as academics, as policymakers, whatever role these students end up playing uh, in, in the world, having them thinking through these issues and helping the next generation think through those issues is something that we're very excited about. And just in our last minute, John, as far as what kind of career fields these people might go into if they ever join the FDIC, just tell us a little bit about what, what sort of research questions the Center for Financial Research at FDIC tackles day to day? What sort of topics are, are y'all interested in? People at the Center for Financial Research are interested in a whole host of different kinds of questions. Uh, there's a group that is very much interested in uh, consumer finance issues, uh, and not just a group of groups of people, I would say, who are interested in consumer finance issues, uh, access to uh, access to finance and the underbanked. There are people who are very interested and groups that are interested in small business lending. So how do banks participate in lending to small businesses? There are groups of people in, within the group who are very interested in risk measurement, trying to think about how we predict uh, banks that might get into uh, future financial difficulty and thinking about methodologies that might help those kinds of predictions. 
We have a lot of people that are interested in resolutions. We at the FDIC are somewhat unique or are unique in our role in the American economy in that we are the only organization uh, that resolves banks that fail. So that produces a lot of very interesting data and a lot of very interesting research questions that are somewhat unique to our role. So we have a number of economists who produce research in that area as well. So those are just a few of the areas in which I think our economists are doing really wonderful work. And the, for the students who might one day join us, I think this is a little bit of a taste of the kinds of ways that we approach issues. We don't necessarily know what the right questions are when we start. And as with the academic challenge, what are the effects of the pandemic on the banking system? That is a pretty open-ended question. And they really have to figure out what the right questions to be asking within that space are. And I think that's one of the great opportunities here for us at the Center for Financial Research as we interact with students. That's John Pogash, the Chief of Financial Modeling and Research at the FDIC. We'll post more information about this year's FDIC Academic Challenge at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. <laughs> Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.